This is an RNZ podcast. Podcasts have become a big factor of the digital world. Uh, do you see any sort of potential troublesome spots ahead? <laughs> My long time associated with radio, I've lived with this um, prediction that the demise of radio was just around the corner. It started with television in the early 60s, and it's gone on forever. But it's not going to happen, Corin. Radio is as powerful as ever. That was the radio veteran Bill Francis, who helped develop the news talk format back in the 1980s, which ended up being the main commercial rival to national radio, now RNZ National. And these days, Bill Francis sits on RNZ's board. And the reason he was on RNZ's flagship news show last Wednesday was that it was 100 years to the day from New Zealand's first ever broadcast over the air. This is a test transmission from Otago University. Professor Jack speaking. Nice one, Professor. And RNZ listeners might have heard that historic clip on air during RNZ's special centenary celebrations this week, Aotearoa on the Air, 100 Years of Radio. And there's plenty more from the past century of radio on the RNZ website. But last Wednesday, Bill Francis was joined on Morning Report by a former Radio New Zealand broadcaster and chief executive, Sharon Crosby, who also reckoned that radio will be here to stay. I fervently wish that nothing will stop radio for another hundred years and I was really encouraged during the height of COVID when I heard that in Europe and America people had come back to radio, that radio had become uh, vital again in their lives and I think that I can't think of a better thing that if you were to invent it today, something you could have about you while you didn't have to hold it and gaze at it like the phone or anything like that that kept you up to date and informed I mean, what could be better? However, back in 2014, one of Sharon Crosby's successors as chief executive didn't quite have the same outlook. A few months into his stint, the current RNZ chief executive, Paul Thompson, told the Commonwealth Broadcasting Association in Glasgow that radio is in long-term decline. Multimedia was the future, he said, but RNZ was weak and almost irrelevant on the web. But it isn't now. Since then, Radio New Zealand has become just RNZ under Paul Thompson's watch to better reflect the fact that it is much more than just radio in the digital era. So what place does radio as we know it now have in the future? Radio adapts. Um, I mean, radio has always been a live medium. It has that advantage because, you know, a lot of digital media is live. Perhaps it's less about the future of radio and more about the future of audio. And things like streaming and podcasts and time-shifted listening is becoming huge and it's going to get bigger and bigger. And the terrestrial radio delivery may become less important over time. But that the power of audio, which is obviously the core of what radio is, um, I think has a really great future. But it's going to be different. Um, and it's never a binary thing where one day everyone's reading a newspaper and the next day no one's reading a newspaper, everyone's reading news online. What tends to happen is people add things to their media repertoire and keep doing some of the older things but also look to do newer things as well. So that's kind of where radio is at the moment, I think. I mean, we've just got some research back um, that we commissioned uh, from Kantar when we ask audiences of all ages, RNZ listeners of all ages, a lot of them are now taking advantage of time-shifted listening to kind of listen to the audio from RNZ when they want to rather than necessarily when it's live on the radio. And I think that's really quite a profound shift and a real opportunity. 
there have been headlines lately about RNZ losing audience and surveys. Is that what this is all about? Are people telling you why perhaps they're drifting away? Yeah, I mean, I'd make the point that RNZ's audiences are larger than ever because we have so many people coming to us on digital platforms and through our radical sharing of content with other media outlets. So our audiences are really strong. What the research is telling us is that there is a fatigue around COVID news, very um, relentless coverage of COVID because it's such a big story, is is proving to be um, a, a turn-off for some. But I mean, I would point out that our radio audiences are really strong and engaged, and I wouldn't be surprised in the latest um, lockdown that we've had really strong engagement. But of course, we won't know that until the next survey comes out. In the listener piece, you talked about uh, delivering a shared experience to a mass audience via a radio signal will eventually be eclipsed by the rise of audio tailored to an individual's needs, new formats, platforms, business and funding models and presenters will change. What are you talking about there, particularly with regard to Radio New Zealand? The internet just opens up a whole new array of ways for people to receive and impart information. We're already seeing that podcasting, streaming, particularly streaming of music and time-shifted listening is going to be is really big for audio and that's only going to grow over time. Terrestrial radio through AM and FM, particularly FMs, will probably outlive both of us. You know, it's not going to finish anytime soon. So it's not a question of something being suddenly turned off. But I think the ability of people to actually exercise choice and shape their own media experience will in the end have a big impact on audio as distinct from radio. So personalised services, um, being able to supply people with content choices based on that Netflix experience of you like that bit of content, so you probably will like this, surfacing content, and just that ability for people to actually go in and listen to what they're interested in as well as what happens to be on, on live at the time. And I think, but I can't see that that power of radio which is around that intimate connection you know through your ears and being able to multitask while you uh, listen to great content great programming is going to change but the means of delivery certainly will shift probably where the challenges are are more around commercial broadcasters who have to figure a way of making the business models work in that new environment and I do wonder whether subscriptions audio subscriptions will become more important and maybe advertising in time will become less important. I don't know, but I suspect that'll be one thing that might happen. So people stop offering audio for free, you think commercial radio operators maybe want to charge for it via online delivery? I think there'll be free services and I think there'll be increasingly paid services. I don't think it'll be people stopping providing services for free, but I think subscription audio services will be a feature and they're already there right I mean you know we've all got Spotify most of us have got Spotify or Apple Music subscriptions there's a willingness to pay there and I think that'll become more important but does that free and universal aspect of old-fashioned radio broadcasting if I can call it that is it still important to you I mean you it's free to receive as long as you've got a receiver uh, over the regulated airwaves no need for an account with an ISP or anything anything like that is that important to you? I think it's massively important because you know, a core principle of public broadcasting, and it's in our charter, is around this idea of being accessible and available, and it's to everyone. And you're right, not just those who uh, have and can work a, a, a smartphone, not just those who have a, a, you know, a great broadband connection for their home Wi-Fi. Radio has still got that ubiquitous power. Um, so I think the future is, certainly from an RNZ and a public broadcasting perspective, continuing to keep terrestrial radio as strong as we can. 
but also leaning into some of those other things as well. We've got to be able to do both. And that's one of the challenges that we have as an organisation. We're still investing in AM infrastructure. And, you know, that's nearly 100 years old, that technology. And we support a lot of the wider radio industries, uh, AM services, by hosting their transmission. Um, and we've also got to be able to invest in digital delivery and apps and those customised and personalised services. So there's a bit of a tension there in terms of how we, we uh, determine where we're going to invest our money. And is Radio New Zealand's RNZ's role as a lifeline utility play into that as well? Because last 10 or 12 years, um, you know, most of that you've been the chief executive here, been a hell of a lot of crises in New Zealand that have required emergency broadcasting. And uh, does the government get that? Yeah, I think it's still really important. And we saw through um, you know, the Christchurch quakes, the Kaikoura quakes, um, through COVID itself, that in times of crisis, radio really comes into its own live radio, its immediacy, its ability to adapt your programming and, and take the latest news, get voices, get in the field. Radio really comes into its own. And we even know with the 1pm media, COVID media conferences, again, that's really been um, a, a rallying point for audiences around live radio. So I think it's, it's really important when there's an emergency sometimes power will go down, which may impact on you know, the internet and your iPhone. Radio will still work in those circumstances, um, as long as the towers aren't knocked out, of course. So I think that in terms of a country like New Zealand, which is vulnerable to these disasters, um, terrestrial radio is still really important. It is interesting, though, that cell phones, uh, smartphones are becoming more important in terms of civil defence alerts. There's new technology being built in. In your listener piece marking the centenary, Paul, you also uh, said, look, radio remains relevant. And as evidence, 80% of people 10 years and over listen every week. And you said it's a competitive, adaptive media. Um, but just a few months into the job, as Chief Executive 2014, you went to the Commonwealth Broadcasting Conference in, in Glasgow, our preferred method of content delivery, radio is in long-term decline, uh, that the listenership had dropped from around 90% of 15-plus adults, so not quite apples with apples, in 2000, had fallen to 79% in 2013. So if it's still 80% and was roughly the same in 2013, is it in long-term decline? Do you still think that? That structural decline is part of the reality and challenge of radio as in terrestrial radio, but it's yeah, but commercial are companies strong. are saying radio income underpins some of what they do, the ones Absolutely. that have a mixed model. Yeah, but I mean, I'd, go, I'd go to the William Gibson quote, you know, the future is here, it's just unevenly distributed. You just need to look at lower levels of engagement around younger audiences, particularly around live radio. They're still listening. I see that in the latest New Zealand research from GFK, um, 67% of 10 to 24-year-olds listen weekly, which is still really high, right? But that compares with 83% of 45 to 66-year-olds. But my my speech, and thank you for bringing it up, was really a rallying cry to RNZ as an organisation at the time that needed to broaden its scope and become more multi-platform, and that was what it was designed to do. Well, in that speech, you pointed to one effort that was actually begun before you became the chief executive of the wireless website to target an, uh, an untargeted audience by RNZ, I guess, which was younger people, uh, only a, a small uh, effort with a few staff, really. But it was shut down after a while or folded into the rest of RNZ. kind of didn't work, and part of it was because it didn't have any radio element to it. It was separate from, from RNZ. Now, when you proposed 
a youth radio service uh, in, in early uh, 2020. That became very controversial because you wanted to take the FM frequency currently occupied by RNZ Concert. Was that you acknowledging that actually radio is critical even for the younger audiences because the, that new plan, which hasn't gone ahead, did involve a youth radio station based on uh, essentially music and then other programming to be added later? Absolutely, but it's not about just one thing. So our plan around um, establishing that youth network was underpinned by the fact that a, an FM audience would be successful and we would then be able to build that, that audience across to other platforms. But we knew radio would play a really important role in that. So absolutely a key endorsement of the remaining power of, 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 of radio. Looking ahead, that possibly might not be the case in five or 10 or 15 years' times and more digital initiatives around younger audiences may prove to be really successful. That if you can put something on the radio it will give you a head start in terms of audience engagement. And that whole controversy was predicated around how important radio still is to New Zealanders. But taking away a radio service to an audience that's grown up with it and expects it, mistake in the end? Uh, well, we didn't get it across the line, and I think it was um, a really sobering experience to uh, be confronted with that opposition. Someone, One of our board members made the point to me, um, and I think it was a good point that we're fortunate to have the loyalty and commitment of that concert audience as concert listeners. I mean, it was bruising, but it's a hell of an asset for us as an organisation to have those people who feel so strongly about concert. And obviously, we're really looking to make sure concert um, and the future of the station is assured, obviously, after that. Has the audience gone up after the controversy? It went up over the, after the controversy, um, which is great. I mean, you know, and it's, it's a positive thing. It's easing and probably going back to uh, the level it was before the controversy. Um, so perhaps there's a signal there in terms of us continuing to refresh and improve the station. Well, in terms of the public side of radio, it's all in play. As we know, the government now has a business case for a public media entity. Decisions not likely to be taken by Cabinet until next year. Now we understand, but we believe that business case has been done. This is obviously for the politicians and not for you, but what are the things that must be maintained uh, yep. from the current radio services um, that will take us into the next hundred years? I don't know whether the policy is going to be implemented or enacted. I think the Minister said that a decision will be made in February. Uh, radio is going to be an enormously important part of any new entity. Whatever happens around media policy and whatever decisions are made by the government, RNZ on air and online is going to be a vital part of the future. And if a new entity is created, you know, our services will be central to the success of that organisation. And RNZ, Concert, RNZ National, RNZ Pacific, our website, um, all of the things that we do, will be carried into the new entity and will be really pivotal to it. And there may be even opportunities, new opportunities around radio and audio in that bigger entity if it's done correctly. So, you know, I'm really keeping an open mind and reserving judgment until we see the shape of the policy. But I think it could be a time where New Zealanders get a much more comprehensive public media service, including all of the goodness that radio and audio can provide. Well, it's been fun, as the centenary's been marked, to hear people saying it's an enduring medium and will carry on into the future and, and so on. Um, but should we also acknowledge, perhaps, 
there's been a bit of a dark side to the history as well. Like in the past, hasn't always been as inclusive of some groups as it should be, particularly Māori, some tokenism and, and broadcasting, you know, censoriousness. We've heard about the, the RNZ um, book of banned songs <laughs> being rolled out with some pretty odd, uh, odd choices down the years. Also, I mean, if we take it out of RNZ to, to talk radio, or private radio, I mean, John Banks... Has, has been highlighted. Uh, he said some fairly ghastly things. He got the boot uh, earlier this year from a private media company and things were brought up that he'd been saying 25 years earlier in a former iteration of that same station and a very, very prejudicial comments about gay people and so on. Um, is there also a bit of a dark side that we ought to acknowledge in this um, centenary radio? Well, it's a technology created and used by humans, so there'll always be moments where bad things happen. Overall, the contribution, the positive contribution of radio to New Zealand life is enormous. You know, 99% of it's just been incredibly positive and constructive. Um, it was revolutionary technology in, it, in its time, and it connected um, an isolated nation to itself, you know, all the different provinces, our geography, and it connected an isolated nation to the world, and there's so much good about that. There'll always be moments where people make mistakes, Day to day, I mean, the radio industry in New Zealand is just an enormous force for good and has been since since the 1920s, which is an amazing record. When um, Prime Minister Savage opened the new, uh, the new tower at Titahi Bay, he made an interesting speech where he talked about radio um, as a revolutionary technology to bind humankind together in a promotion of peace and democracy. Radio's fulfilled that role and has kept New Zealand connected and informed and supported our democracy. But, you know, two years after that speech, went back on the radio to uh, announce the beginning of World War II. So um, it's human frailty that you're referring to, not radio itself, Colin. Well, I, but does it change what you think the mission is? Because, for example, like Charlotte Cook did a, of RNZ did a lovely report uh, to mark the centenary on, on Wednesday, straight after that on Morning Report was uh, an item about MP Karen McAnulty being threatened um, and receiving threats and MP security having to be revisited for their Wellington homes. Uh, straight after that, a report from Australia about people marching in the street with nooses for politicians and Dan Andrews, their state premier, you know, and the QAnon conspiracy-driven people leading these protests. I mean, do you talk about that with the board or even with other broadcasters that at the moment the worst of all this kind of communication is online? And we know there's a lot of it, a lot of bad stuff online. Um, do you worry about insulating radio from it or setting it up as a bulwark against it? Do you talk about it or is that just regarded as outside noise, radio should carry on independent of all of that? We're a public broadcaster. Our charter is all about supporting a cohesive nation. It's about providing an independent and impartial trusted news service. So those conversations are central to how we operate within RNZ. We think and talk about that all the time. Um, it's, it's a really uncertain time. There's a lot of fear circulating. The big global tech platforms are disrupting the world. They are a conduit for hate and misinformation. The, one of the best antidotes to that is um, a really vibrant, independent local media sector um, with lots of different voices and perspectives and lots of different access points for people to get to reliable, trusted journalism. And I think we just have to keep the faith that the, the work that we do as a public broadcaster is enormously important to kind of provide the counterbalance to some of that hateful stuff. But, you know, I also would point out that 
sometimes those um, that uh, negative um, public dialogue is confined to quite a small group and it doesn't represent the vast majority of people in my view. So it's just keeping it in perspective as well. Um, you know, people have asked the question recently, you know, how can we make sure that New Zealanders trust news and journalism? And the answer is to make sure that there's a range of really reliable, trusted, sustainable news sources in New Zealand so that people can exercise choice and they don't have to just listen to one station or go to one website to get their news, but they can go across a range of websites. So that's the big challenge that the government's got. How does it create that strong, enduring ecosystem? And finally, seeing as this is the 100th anniversary of that first test broadcast by Professor Jack, uh, sort of the nuts and bolts of it, you mentioned earlier um, that analogue transmission will outlove us all, um, and that makes sense. I guess there's so many hundreds of thousands of receivers out there that will carry on working uh, again till after you and I are both dead, I imagine. Um, but is this so are you going to have to support or is the industry going to have to support sort of two parallel systems the digital output and just carry on with what is you know quite old fashioned analog technology broadcasting into the indefinite future you know tv bit the bullet and went digital back 2011 2012 and that transition was complete can that just never happen for radio i wonder whether the moment's passed obviously new zealand has looked at dab digital um, digital audio delivery um, and hasn't committed to it. So uh, my, my I mean, look, radio in terrestrial form, FM in particular, is still really, really successful and resilient in New Zealand, so that's going to continue, and I don't think that'll be turned off, you know, anytime soon. But these new other things, these new things are going to develop as well, so um, we somehow have to find the sweet spot between those both those worlds. Cool. And yeah, commercial broadcasters, I guess, wouldn't be willing to do anything in a hurry because if their listeners depend upon that form of broadcasting, they'll have to stick with that. Yeah, but the two commercial, um, big commercial broadcasters in New Zealand are both investing in their own streaming platform, Rover and iHeart. They're really great platforms. So we're all trying to figure out what, how we sort of play in that space in future. Um, and innovation and adapting to to opportunity as being core to radio's DNA from the start. So I've got absolute faith that the sector will continue to do that successfully. That was Paul Thompson, the Chief Executive at RNZ. And also, he was re-elected recently as President of the Public Media Alliance, the world's largest global association of public broadcasters and public media companies. And there's plenty more about the centenary of radio in New Zealand and a wealth of great audio from the archives on the RNZ website. Just look for the title, Aotearoa on the Air, 100 Years of Radio.